0: Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. This sutta, as part of our Jhana Meditation Structured Study, um, and I know I say this about every single sutta I teach, but it's such a key sutta, very small, very short, um, and it's taught by Sariputta, who was um, who was with the Buddha almost from the beginning. Sariputta and uh, and another one of his contemporaries, Moggallana, uh, came to the Buddha about two weeks after the Buddha started his teaching career and having established this, the original sangha. And they had been studying with the similar teachers that, that Siddhartha Gautama was, not finding what they were looking for. They heard about this Siddhartha Gautama who apparently awakened, and they sought him out, met with him, and realized that, that he had he had what they were looking for. And so Sariputta and Moggallana joined the original Sangha, And in about two weeks, and at some point I'll teach this story because it's really an interesting story, but in about two weeks of being with the Buddha, They both awakened and they, as we describe awakened, they gained full human maturity, their minds calm. And so for the rest of the Buddhist teaching career, they were an integral part of the original Sangha. Interestingly enough, all three of these gentlemen died around the same time, within weeks of each other, um, 45 years after they, they came together. Sariputta became a very important teacher, and the Buddha often called on Sariputta, much like I call on you teachers, to teach uh, in certain circumstances. Moggallana was something different. Moggallana preferred a very solitary practice, and so he spent a lot of time away from even the original Sangha. But when the Buddha had something very specific that he wanted Moggallana to teach, he would call him in, and Mogalana would teach. Uh, so it describes two different types of teachers here. Uh, Sariputta was much more accessible and much more constant during the uh, the, the life of the Buddha. In this sutta, Sariputta answers a question from Ananda, the Buddha's cousin and chief attendant, and it gets directly to the heart of the matter and something that we talk about often that the Buddha didn't teach anything magical, mystical, or speculative. He didn't teach about establishing ourselves in some realm of emptiness or nothingness. He never, ever taught anything like that. But that was a common teaching during his time as well, excuse me. And so Ananda is still caught up in that. And the, um, the references, that would seek establishment in these non-physical realms. And really, in they're, they're just mental concepts because they're not really in, a, in a, a realm of any type. They're just something that we conjured <clears throat> up as human beings. And we've been doing that since probably since we were cavemen and women. Uh, and so, Ananda wants clarity because, like many of us, he began a meditation practice thinking that there was something or magical Yes, David. And just in the meditation experience, like you might, you might have some kind of spontaneous um, mystical experience in meditation. You might, in fact, I would, I could describe some to you. All of them have been a distraction to me, and they'll always prove a distraction to Jhana meditation. So Sariputta is answering Ananda's question, which is really, what do I do when I find myself seeking? A non-physical establishment in my meditation practice, and this is Saraputra's answer. And I want to say hello to David. I think it's David Allen. I'm glad you joined us today, David.
1: Hey, John. Hi,
0: everyone. Yeah, that's that's David's voice. David, I got to leave early, so uh, you know, since you're here, do you want to leave? I have to leave about quarter quarter to three, David. Do you want to? I wouldn't be able. I have to leave the room open. Uh, Never mind. It's going to be a quick class, day, but I'm glad you joined us. So, the Saraputa Sutta, or the cessation of ignorance. On one occasion, Venerable Ananda visited Venerable Saraputa. They exchanged courteous greetings, and Ananda took a seat next to his friend. He then asked a question. Dear friend, could one develop concentration to the point that they would not be sensitive to the perception of the earth, or the elements of the earth. Could one develop concentration to the point that they would not be sensitive to the infinitude of space or of consciousness? Could one develop concentration to the point that they would not be sensitive to the nothingness of ne- or of neither perception nor non-perception? Those four conceptual realms are just that. There's no, there's no reality, but they were taught as goals even during the buddhist time just as they are today meaning seek using meditation to escape your body and establish yourself in some non-physical realm being sensitive to that is not the same as sensual indulgence Sensitive in this in the Buddha's dala, simply means that we are able to be aware of we are open to it we're sensitive to this <laughs> excuse me <coughs> There's no other deeper meaning to sensitive, except it just means, can I get beyond that awareness in meditation? Hello, Alex. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to cut this class short, so I'm leaving you a little bit hanging right now. I'm glad you joined us, but uh, Tom can explain if there's any confusion about what I'm talking about today. So, could one develop concentration to the point that they would not be sensitive to this world or the next world? which is basically saying, can I develop concentration where I would not be distracted by the things of this world or the fabrications I create about non-physical realm? Is that, can concentration get me there? Would one still be sensitive to what is occurring? So, Ananda understands the ultimate goal of the Dharma, but he's still, in his practice, he's still stuck in grasping after fabrication, and not developing concentration to the point, to the ultimate point, of simply being present for life as life occurs. You've heard me describe anatta, the not self-characteristic in an awakened human being. And in an awakened human being, the self is simply an impersonal reference point to what's occurred. And in our discussion, if we get to it, if I have enough time today, I'd like to hear if you have any confusion, to, uh, confusion about what I just said that ultimately all that we are as human beings is a reference point to life as life occurs. Okay. Sariputra's answer to that question, would this one still be sensitive to what is occurring, is, yes, dear friend Ananda, even with great concentration, this one could be sensitive to what is occurring. So Ananda is still caught up in the speculation, and I've noticed it in many, many students, that It's an underlying fear that if I let go of all self-referential views, all views rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, what's going to become of me? And Saraputa and the Sutta is reassuring Ananda and now all of us from 2,600 years ago, yes, you will now be present for life as life occurs, for what is occurring, which is the ultimate goal of the Dhamma. It's where all peace and happiness reside is in this present moment. It's where all meaning resides, is in this present moment. So think about that for a moment. If my mind is stuck in the past or thrown into the future, I cannot be present for my life in this moment, cannot. No one can. And so any meaning that I'm ascribing to this moment in my life is a fabricated meaning. It's a self-referential meaning. When I'm simply present for life as life occurs, there's no me here. This is a non-self-referential moment. I'm simply a reference point to what is occurring. And to take that one little statement further, I'm simply a peaceful reference point to what's occurring. Why am I peaceful in this moment? Because there's no me here. I don't need this moment to be any different than it is. Even with great concentration, this one could be sensitive to what is occurring. Ananda then says, please explain how one could develop concentration so that they would not be sensitive to the earth or this world or the next world, meaning any speculative establishment. How can I stop grasping after fabrications and still be sensitive to what is occurring? So again, having not experienced that yet, Ananda is he can't understand the concept. But what the Buddha always taught, and what Sariputra is about to tell him, is a hipsiko. The only way you can know that is to have the experience. And the only way to have the experience is to stay within the framework of the Eightfold Path. Saraputa says, let me explain. Now he's going to relate his own personal experience. On one occasion, I was here in Savati at the Blind Man's Grove. I developed concentration to the point that I was neither sensitive to the earth, or this world or the next world, meaning he was no longer distracted by the things of this world, and he was no longer distracted by his own fabricated eye making. I was no longer sensitive to this to the earth or this world or the next world. Yet I continued to be sensitive to what is occurring. His mind was present and it was resting in this present moment, simply a reference point to what is occurring. I want to read it again. He was neither sensitive to the earth or to this world or the next, and yet I continue to be sensitive to what is occurring. His mind isn't scattered. He's not stuck in the past or the future or in a speculative establishment about what this moment should be. He's simply present for life as life occurs. Ananda says, please tell me, dear friend, what were you sensitive of at that time? So to Ananda, his mind not yet awakened, remember Ananda didn't awaken until a month after the Buddha passed. Still in it in in this unawakened yet borderline state, I would say, he doesn't yet understand how can there not be a me in this president? How can I simply be a let me just let Cliff come in. Hello Cliff, I'm glad you joined us. Uh, I have to leave class in about 15 minutes. So I started the sutta, and I'm just about finished with it. Uh, I will post the, the talk probably tomorrow if you want to catch up. I'm sorry about that. So um, let me go back to Amanda's question. Please tell me dear friend, what were you sensitive at that time? So he had less, he, was, he had gone beyond He developed concentration past the point of speculation, past the point of uh, establishment in magical and mystical realms, and was simply present for life as life occurs. And now he answers Ananda's question. Ananda, I was sensitive to the cessation of becoming further ignorant of four noble truths. That's an awakened human being. He's mindful that that is no longer occurring. Remember when the Buddha awakened and he touched the ground to indicate that he had overcome the world, and he said, there is nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. What that means is he had developed concentration and refined mindfulness to the point where where now Siddhartha Gautama was simply a reference point to what was occurring in his life. Saraput is explaining that same development now to Ananda. I'm going to read it again. Ananda, I was sensitive to the cessation of becoming further ignorant of four noble truths. He he knew in this moment that there was no more fabrication occurring in him. Saraputta continued, I was sensitive to unbinding from those views ignorant of four noble truths. He He locked in the experience. He had overcome his own ignorance and he knew it. I was sensitive to, meaning aware of, I was sensitive to the arising and the passing away of all phenomena, the understood impermanence. Remember what Kandana said when he, he awakened during the Buddha's very first teaching. Just as a word, the, the metaphor here is beautiful. Just as a wood fire's flames arise and pass away, the wood fire, that rises and passes away. I was sensitive to the unbinding from wrong views. Those wrong views arise and they pass away like the flames in a fire, like a flickering flame. There's no substance to it. And when we're sensitive to, to life as life occurs, that is what we understand. That all views are impermanent. As Kandana said, all conditioned things that arise are subject to cessation. When Kandana said that, the Buddha said to him, you are now Anakandana, the one who understands. That's what the Sutta is referring to. Developing concentration to the point that I am simply a reference point to what's occurring. Remember the Bahia Sutta. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. Excuse me. So I want to, but that's the end of today's Sutta. I want to welcome Cliff again. Uh, And Cliff, I know you came in here at the end. Um, But let's go around. I want to see if you have any uh, questions or comments. And again, I only have about fifteen minutes, so please be brief. Jeff, how are you? Oh, well, thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah. So, in in, in my in in my thoughts on this, uh, that, that experiencing of states or other realms, uh, w- w- without uh, without awakening and without concentration one wouldn't be present to experience that anyway, right? Right. Um, so th- it, it seems logical to suspend belief in that. Yes. Or or, or abandon that as a goal because it's not a um, could, could just as easily be a fabrication as anything. Yes, it, the- the Buddhist Dhamma teaches us that anything that cannot be experienced as a human being is a fabrication. It's not something that's worth grasping after or trying to establish yourself in. Just a distraction. So everything the Buddha taught was taught for human beings to establish it in this human life and so actually have a human life rather than be distracted over getting something that, you, that you're not or to add something to yourself that you think you're lacking, such as a bigger bank account or you know, more coconuts in your cave. All of that takes you away from yourself. So we learned this this radical acceptance of who and what we are as human beings. There's no need and no possibility to be any different than we are in this moment. So, great insight, Jeff. Mateo!
1: Super quick, noble silence for
0: me. <laughs> and, again, excuse me for, for putting that pressure on you, but thank you for being thank super you. quick. Hello,
1: Tom. Um, hi, John. Um, yeah, maybe I'll take I'll take noble silence. Um, I think I'll take noble silence as well. Actually, um, yeah, I'll let I'll let someone else uh, ask a question because uh, okay. I always Not have plenty to say. Like no, no, no. I think I can. I think I can wait. I, I read the, the the passage this morning and I I wrote down a few things. It definitely helps hearing hearing you um sort of bring some of it to life if you like well, I, I found the passage slightly more difficult than other ones um but uh yeah i've got a far clearer understanding of it now so anyway um this is me doing my best to do a noble silence
0: <laughs> i appreciate it thank you Bob. hello louise Uh, yeah, I'm going to take a noble silence as well. I, I think I understand it. I don't have any any questions. That's funny, great. Thanks. Alex, next
1: in the line. Hi, John. I'll just take advantage of all these noble silences then. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, I, I've got to be quiet because I'm in. A, I'm actually in a library at the moment. Um, oh, okay. But <clears throat> I, um, I had a... I've just had a really intense week. Um, very, I'm on a program at the moment which started this week, so it's been really intense socially and all sorts. And so all I wanted to say is, that my style practice really served me really well this week. It's really helped me see the value of it and help me stay in the moment and not take things personally and not get and watch when my mind is going off to clinging and, and other things and. Um, it's really served me well. And I had a conversation with a girl on the, we're, we're having so many conversations with people, which is bizarre after COVID um, yesterday. And she, um, I said that she, I did a quick summary of Buddhism, because she said to me, she was exploring Buddhism and I, well, no, she was interested in my pursuit of Buddhism. And um, I said, uh, yeah, so basically, you know, we, if we cling and crave to things then we're not in the moment and we're, we're, we're in the, you know, future or the past, and we're not living a life as a life as life occurs, like you say. And she kept saying, "But, but I like to cling, and I like things what? that I crave." And yeah. and we kept going back and forth, and and it was so interesting. And I was like, "Yeah, I, don't, I just wish I had more time." And I was saying, "Yeah, but, but by doing that, you're missing this moment right now." And and I said, "But, but anyway, it was just interesting, and it helped me realize." you know, just how far I've come. Not that I don't cling and crave, but I'm aware of it and I understand what we're trying to achieve here. And it's serving me, it's serving me, just aspiring to that, it's serving me. So, um, yeah, just wanted to say thanks for the teaching. They've, they've kind of landed a bit more this week and, and this was a great sitter. I, I, I don't have any questions, I, I got it.
0: Right, Thank you. Alex, that's outstanding. And what you're describing is pure Dhamma practice. You're, it, it, what you're, what you're seeing in the contrast between the way you used to be, your friend that you encountered, and where you are now, is the essence of, of Dhamma practice. It's the essence of becoming, uh, of, of self-empowering your Dhamma practice. You see the, the benefit within yourself. And that, that level of refined mindfulness is what, we're, what you will deepen to establish. But it's also interesting to see other people that basically what your friend is saying, I, lo- I want to live in fantasy. That's what I think is, is the best way to live my life. And I, it's not a put down. That's how my, I live my life until I came to the Buddhist Dhamma. But it, it's sad when you realize that. Because people can achieve, a, a, achieve great things in a human life. And that whole human life is, is a fantasy. It's fantastic. And that's what the Buddhists teach you. What good is it? You could you could have the greatest achievement any human being ever had. But if you're not there for it, what good is it? And what i found... That rather than having great achievements, the greatest achievement of all is to be present for life as life occurs. What else could be more valuable than to just live my life? And that that changed everything for me and I I think a lot of other people. That's what Alex is describing. That's what you're all describing. So thank you. Uh, I'm going to go to Cliff. I know you're just uh, dropping in at the last minute, Cliff, but uh, I'd like to hear what you have to say before we go to David
1: thing I have to say is I, I, I liked uh, Clinging and Craving <laughs> until I realized it was, was causing me stress and suffering. That's right. Then I no longer liked it. But before then, I thought it was great. So I can relate to your friend.
0: Yeah, we, I mean, we're taught. That's part of the game, isn't it? We even have phrases <laughs> about like uh, life as a banquet, don't leave the table uh, hungry. I say, you know, life is a banquet, but leave something for other people. You not know, practice <laughs> that wise restraint. Yeah, that, that craving and clinging is instilled as, you know, the, maybe the, the most honored human trait is always be grasping for more. It ain't no fun, but thank you, Cliff. I'm glad you joined us, and I'm sorry for the short class today. I'm
1: sorry. I'm sorry to be late. I, I tried to get on as quick as possible. Thank you. Oh, little better than nothing, right? Little is it always is, a little better right. than nothing. You're doing well, my friend?
0: Oh, Yes.